Man, we are raising up some theologians around here. I love it. I love it. Well, this morning, we have a, 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 a BHAG, your big, hairy goal, audacious goal. You ever heard that? Uh, we're going to try to tackle Luke 15 in the next 30 minutes, uh, and that's going to be a, a big goal. And uh, Luke 15 is one of the most famous group of parables uh, that Jesus spoke. And you know them, uh, and, and we've looked at them, but it's my prayer that we don't just fall into our old tapes, that we just allow the Lord to speak to us. And uh, uh, you all know what a tape is, right? Uh, uh, those tapes. You remember, anybody remember tapes? Who doesn't remember tapes? The younger crowds go, what's a tape? Um, but stand with me. We're going to read Luke 15. We're just going to read together one through three, but I would love for you to stay with us in this as we kind of process this chapter. We, we do like to stand in honor of reading God's Word, though we're not going to read this entire chapter. Well, we will, but not in this setting. But it's just a way to acknowledge this is the Word of God. And so just standing in honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, stay in Luke 15 because, you know, we, we've understood we're in the series in Luke uh, where we're looking at the parables of Luke. Um, and, and, I, and I think that Jesus in these parables, I, I think he, uh, you, you realize that, that Luke is not writing this in real time. So he's not taking notes right here as Jesus is sharing this parable. But, but God has, has given insight to these men who wrote his word down later. But I anticipate and I, 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 I would believe that, that these parables that Jesus has shared, he repeated. He didn't just tell them once. I think they were kind of recurring stories that were, were often mentioned, and, and God was bringing them to memory as, as, these, as Luke is interviewing these men who were with Jesus and, and getting these stories and putting them to pen as he writes to Theophilus. But we understand parables are, uh, you have always heard them as earthly stories with heavenly meanings, and we've looked at this week after week that a parable means to cast alongside. And what, what Jesus is doing when he shares a parable he's, is he's casting alongside a heavenly truth, a kingdom truth. And he's helping kind of compare, use an earthly story, something that we can relate to, to understand these magnificent truths of God. And, and in Luke 15, there's some incredible things revealed about God. And important things that we need to understand. Now, um, as you, like, like the challenge we've given through this series, we, we, we always challenge our church to memorize the scriptures. And it's my prayer that you memorize Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And, and, and I pray that you, you put that to memory. Because in that memory verse that we're learning, we understand that for believers, for those that are, that are following the Lord and serving the Lord and have been uh, forgiven and saved, we understand these parables are, are revealing secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, now, you may be here and you're in a state of rebellion. 
Well, sometimes parables to those who are rebellious, those who are, who are struggling to, to acknowledge God or honor God or serve the Lord or look to the Lord. If you're set, have your heart set away from the Lord, these might be confusing to you. But, but I pray that you put this verse to memory, Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, because it's just, I pray that God uses his word to, to give you greater insight. But as you look at this parable in Luke 15, um, it's important that in all through Jesus' teaching, he had this statement that he made, and often with the parables, he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that's an important statement. That's an important challenge from Jesus because, yeah, we all have ears in our head, on our head, but sometimes we don't have ears to hear. And this morning it's been my prayer that Luke 15, we approach it with ears to hear. Now look at verse 1. We've got to understand what prompted Jesus to, to, to share these three parables, this group of parables. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. I mean, people were flocking to Jesus. They, they wanted to hear him teach. They, they said about Jesus, man, you teach like one with authority. That you don't, you're not like all these other people. Because he was God with skin on. He was God in the flesh. Even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was teaching, and people were like, oh, my goodness, who is this kid? Well, he's about his father's business, he said to his mom. And, and, and he, was, he was teaching. And, and it's interesting how they were drawn to him. People were drawn to him. But, but look at this, um, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. Pharisees, these were the religious elite. These were those that, that not like we look at a Pharisee in a negative light because we've got exposure to Scripture, but if we were the first century uh, participant or, or listener, uh, the Pharisees would be like, man, those are the men. Those are the guys that have it all together. Those are the people that we need to look like and be like and live like. And, and, and if they're grumbling about something, there may be a problem, you know, and then this is the, the attitude of the people around the Pharisees and around the first century. And, 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 and the Pharisees and the scribes, these were the ones, the scribes were the ones that wrote down the text. These were important people. These were, these were the people that were up on a pedestal and they were grumbling. This is a big deal. Don't miss the gravity of that statement right there. And what did they say? What were they grumbling about? This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. You know, you know it's interesting how, how Jesus was criticized as, as look, you're with, the, you're with that group. What, what are you doing? This would almost be like if, uh, and, and I don't know what, I mean, everybody would have different perspectives. If you watched, if you saw me around town walking out of someplace, uh, I, I, I've tried to evaluate what would, what would be an example that you would go, oh my goodness, I can't believe Chris is there. What's he doing there? I mean, maybe coming out of Hard Rock Casino or sitting at the craps table. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to play that game. But, uh, but, but you know, I don't know what it is in your mind. Maybe, maybe it could be. Um, let's take, for example, you decide to go pick it an abortion, at an abortion clinic. And then all of a sudden you're out there chanting, which I don't think that's a good idea. Don't do that. Um, there's other strategies to implement than that. But, um, 
Imagine you see me walk out and I go, hey, guys, 7 o'clock, my house tonight. See you here? Okay. See you. You'd be like, what, what, what are you doing? Well, this is kind of what Jesus was. I mean, Jesus was a teacher and they were like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're receiving these sinners. Now, point number one is important, I think, and, 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 and lostness. Lostness, do you know that it's an historic and universal problem? See, see Satan is, is, is um, strategic about our lives, about the world. And, you know, when I look at the spiritual battle that's around us and, and I look at the, the, the mentality around us, and, and, and you know what? I, I think that one of straight Satan's strategies that I have seen is that Satan is convincing people that they're just pretty good. They're okay. We live in this world of spirituality, um, uh, not to, to this, this Oprah mentality that, that, that we were born just good. We're good. We're fine. Just be spiritual. But see, here's the reality of life. Here's what God has revealed, that lostness is a universal, it's an historic problem. From the, from the very moment of Adam and Eve failing and sinning in the garden, sin has been the greatest struggle of mankind. And this is what makes Jesus coming so miraculous because he came and everybody thought he was going to come and everybody thought the, the prophet said he was going to come and, and the Jews thought, okay, he's going to come and deliver us from the Romans. The Romans are under, are, we're in submission to them, and, and we're going to be delivered from the Romans. But, but Jesus came and said, no, no, no. There's a greater enemy and a greater problem. The enemy, the, 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 the enemy is Satan, sin, and death. And see, Jesus came to eradicate sin put Satan in his place, which he did very clearly when he looked at him and said, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. I see that going, that, that temptation of Jesus, I see, it much, I see it much more dramatic. I don't see Jesus going, thou shalt not tempt the Lord, your God. I see Jesus, I mean, kind of going, would you just, let me tell you something. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? Like walk up and go, What? I see Jesus going, hey, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. And what, is this, what did Satan do? He left till an opportune time. You see, um, there's a greater enemy, a greater problem, sin and death. And Jesus came to defeat it. And, and here's what's the interesting thing. I, I, Benjamin Watson, I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was a, he's a tied in for the, um, for the Patriots right now. And I couldn't remember his name last week. And one of our church members reminded me. And he was on CNN, I think. And, and, uh, and, and she was asking him about the, the racism struggle and, and Colin Kaepernick and all those things. And, 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 and he basically went into this, she goes, any final thoughts? He goes, yeah, you know what? The greatest reason for this struggle is that we're sinners. And mankind needs a savior. And he began to articulate the gospel. And I was watching that going, dude, that's pretty good. 
And you know what they, the lady did? Oh, oh sorry. Oh, whoa. Gwen's screen goes dark. Oh, sorry. We, we, oh, we lost him. We lost him. Good, good luck, Benjamin, in your season. And see, I don't blame that lady. But, but here's the reality. There's a natural struggle to admit our original lost state. We struggle with that. We, we, we struggle to admit that we're lost. But, but the reality is the world is lost. Before I came to Christ, I was lost. And, and you know, we live in a world that, you know, even in church culture, like, hey, let's not offend anybody. Well, let me tell you something. If, you're, if you don't come to Jesus, if you don't know Christ, you're lost. And, and, and if we as a church don't make that proclamation, then we're not true to the message of the Bible and, and the God's message. There's a natural struggle to admit our lost state. And there's a natural struggle to surrender our will to God, isn't it? Have you noticed that in your life? We, we naturally don't want to surrender our will to God. This is what makes Isaiah 53 so beautiful where it says this, who has believed what he has heard from us, Isaiah says. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is Isaiah 53. For he grew, he grew up before us like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. It says about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And then that famous verse, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I don't want us to miss the fact that, that lostness is our greatest problem. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you've not come to this recognition of your lostness, allow me to be an ambassador for Christ to, to you today and, and just plead with you that you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. And I would plead with you, come to Jesus. And it's why, as a church, we must live with this sense of urgency that the world is desperately in need of a Savior. And I pray you see this. We're lost without Christ. And I pray you see who Jesus is and what he's like. Now, now amazingly, Luke 15, Jesus reveals a powerful truth about God. Let's look at this truth. Let's look at it. Point number two is this. And this is this truth that we see that God is a seeker of sinners. And this is this amazing reality that God seeks sinners. And, and, and look at this. Jesus says, this parable, what man of you, look at verse, verse 3, what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, there's so many things we could deal with as we look at just even that parable. And this is a, a big task today to try to tackle this whole chapter together. But, but, but you know, when I look at this, I, I recognize that, that God pursues the one who is lost and afraid. And, and I see this. God, isn't it amazing that God pursues the one who's lost and, he, and he's afraid? Sheep are not the bravest animals in the world, Right? Uh, I mean, when I went to Alaska, I went there and spoke at a camp several years ago, and, and this guy was telling me about the grizzly bears in Anchorage. There's grizzly bears there, and, and, and he, um, he, he has these dogs, and he puts these bells on his dogs, and he goes running and jogging through the mountains with dogs and bells. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I think if I see a grizzly bear, I'm not going to go, hey, ring my bell. I don't think, I don't think that's what I'd want. I think I'd want a big gun. But I think that would just make him mad. But, um, but I was just fascinated at that. You know, well, you know what he didn't say? Hey, I put bells on my sheep, and I go running with my sheep. Why? Because for a bear, that would be dinner bells, you know? It would not be, you don't, I don't know anybody that would go jogging with their sheep. You know, sheep are often afraid. And it's an interesting reality. You know what? There may be some of you here today, you're lost, and you're afraid. And I just want you to know Jesus came for you. I have an interesting seat often. I, I had this seat twice this week in the life of our church. We've seen two lovely people in our church that went to be at the Lord this week. And today I'm missing my friend John Parker, who always sits back there. I would he'd try to take my Bible every Sunday. I'd say, man, you're going to preach today then. He'd give it back. He'd go, no, I'm not. I miss him. Vera McNeil, sweet lady, went to be at the Lord. Her funeral was Monday. And, and so it's, two, it's been a two-funeral week for me. It's a challenging week. But, but, I, but I, that seat that I'm in is as I stand at the head of a casket. In, in the tradition of our, of our culture, people walk by. And you can see in some fear in their eyes with ultimate questions and ultimate realities. And when I look at this beautiful picture of a, Jesus said, there's this sheep that was lost. And I found it. And I rejoiced because the sheep came home. I, I want to ask you, if you're here today and you're afraid of death, of life, I just want to tell you, Jesus seeks you, came for you. I want you to see him. Then he goes on. He tells another story. A woman having ten silver coins if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and, and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found that coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, Jesus is brilliant. I mean, he knows life. I mean, he knows, he's like he's reading my laundry. I mean, I mean, there's a, it's brilliant. He says a woman lost a coin, right? 
Okay, uh, I don't know about you, but at my house, we all walk around going, I can't find this. I can't find it. And what do we do? We go to Robin. Robin, we've lost whatever. And Robin's like, uh, and she walks in her room and she's like, it's right there. I'm like, how did you know that? How did you see that? Jesus is brilliant. He knows culture. And, and you know, it's interesting about this coin. This, the sheep is lost in the woods. The sheep's afraid. It knows it's lost. A coin doesn't know it's lost. A coin's just a coin. It's lost, but it doesn't know it's lost. And, and, and you know, I know you've got to be careful about reading all kinds of applications into parables, but can I just tell you something that the Lord just spoke to me? God pursues the one who's lost and unaware. Isn't that amazing? That you may be here today and you're unaware of your lostness. God pursues you. And see, I, I, I think about the people in this community who are lost and they don't know it. And I'm thankful that God was faithful to call me and reveal to me that I was lost. You know, this summer, I went to Columbia with Keith and my daughter Maggie, and we're driving up this mountain in, the, in Columbia. We had to get permission from this people, or other, otherwise it would be dangerous, and, and we're stuck on the, this mountain. We're stuck in this little car, and, and, it's, and I'm thinking, and I said to myself, as, we're, as, we're, as I'm on the back of this motorcycle now, because our car got stuck, and I'm driving up this mountainous road going, I think you could bury me here and nobody would ever find me. And I remember thinking to the Lord, God, what are we doing? What are we doing here right now? Some of our IMB missionaries have identified this people group and our church is going to help them. But I'm thinking, God, what are we doing? And it dawned on me. I, go, this is, I thought to myself, this is just a small little people group. There's like several thousand of this people group in the world. And God says, I, I see them. God, God said to me, Chris, I see them. And I want you to see them too. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm thankful that God pursues the one who is lost and unaware. Look at, he goes on, he tells the other story that we've seen a little bit. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me this share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said, and, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
spring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate, Jesus said. You know what, I read this and I'm thinking I'm so thankful God pursues the lost and afraid. God pursues the lost and unaware. And do you know who else God pursues? God pursues the, the one who is lost and rebellious. I've been rebellious. I've been saved and rebellious. Today, I want you to see that God seeks even the lost and rebellious. And the big point of Luke 15 is, as we just kind of take a big picture look at it, it's this, it's that, that God seeks out sinners. The lost is a massive group of people in our world, and we should see them. We should recognize them. We should, we should pay attention to them. It's my prayer that we don't miss them. And, and, and I think about the Savior. God reveals himself as a seeker of the lost. But I want us to notice the second big point that's magnificent. It's magnificent when you think about the the second big point of Luke 15, God seeks the lost. But but you know what? The second big point is is this reality that, that God rejoices when one of them repents. When, when you repented, I think about when Dallas was in my office, we just saw him baptized. When he was in my office, that, that in heaven, angels rejoiced over this moment that, that Dallas came to Christ. And, and it's amazing to me that when, when we repent, there's rejoicing in heaven that, that God and all his angels say, oh, did you see that? Let's celebrate because he's come to me. He's, he, he's, he's repented and, and, and he's been saved. Oh, let's rejoice in heaven over this. And I think about, look at verse 6 and 7. It says, and when he, he tells in this parable, when, um, when he came home, he calls together his friends when the sheep was gone. And he said to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, many, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, and when she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I found the lost coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Look at verses 23 and 24. Bring the fattened calf, the father says, and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And I think about this incredible point that every time a sinner repents, he, is, he rejoices. And if you're looking at point number three in your notes, it's this. I believe that we are called to join him in seeking. You know, I've come to discover the times that I get up in front of people and say, oh, come to Jesus. Come to Christ. And I often get up in front of people and I stand here and I'm like, oh, come. And it shocks me sometimes. It burdens me sometimes because a lot of times I'm just here by myself. And when I get discouraged about my friends and people that are like, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm reminded that there is, as hard as I will seek, there is one who continues to seek harder than me. It's my Savior who came seeking. And you know what, as I look at this, I recognize and I've felt a conviction. And the conviction is this. And we're going to end with this. As, as a follower of Christ, as one who has been forgiven, I just ask you to feel this conviction with me. It has been a rare moment in my life that I have been criticized for hanging out, for seeking sinners. And, and, and you know, as I look at how much the Father loves me, do you know how much God loves you? That he sought you. He came to this world seeking you. And as I read this passage, as I read, as I read my Bible, I discover that he is still seeking. And I just thought to myself, Lord, does our church, are you criticizing our church? Is it, excuse me, is the world criticizing our church for being a place where sinners are welcome? Because when you come to recognize the gravity of lostness, you tend not to forget that you were once lost and you were found. I pray that a criticism develops in the, lives of our, in the life of our church that we spend time with those who are lost. I have some great points on how. But I think right now, we don't need that. We need to leave it at that.